everyone, welcome to Unlearning Youth Group, where the podcast where we take a look at all the things we learned back in youth group, find the good, unlearn the bad, and figure out where the heck we go from here. We haven't met. My name is Jonathan Carone, and we're joined, as always, by our co-host, Mr. Eric Williams. Eric, go ahead and say hey to the people. Uh, <laughs> I don't know that I can start this without, like, the intro, which I'm not sure if, if we're going to be able to put that on YouTube or not, uh, but... Those intro songs, I cannot get enough of them. I am being like, if there was a Spotify wrapped for 2023, I'm going to have all of those songs on my top because I just like, I'm absorbing those, uh, those worship songs. It's so good because the Bible says it, I believe it. Therefore it's settled. <laughs> so if you don't know what that's from, uh, it's TikTok user, Cole Bruski. Uh, he, he's hilarious. I don't always come to the same conclusions that he's come to based on his experiences, but he did a series where he and his wife took scripture out of context and sang it in the same style of modern worship bands. And the whole thing's funny. It makes me laugh every single time. So I want to give him credit for that, but it was the perfect thing for today's episode. And like Eric mentioned, we probably won't be able to put that on YouTube. We are on YouTube this season. If you want to watch us instead of listening to us, you can click the link down in the description on the podcast, or you can go to youtube.com slash at unlearning youth group to watch everything over there. Make sure you subscribe and leave a comment if you're watching there. But for today's episode, we are talking women in ministry. And for some of you, this might seem like something that's like, Oh, why are they talking like this? But my experience shows this is a very, very hot button issue of all the things we talk about. When I post things on TikTok to either prepare for the episode or promote the episode or whatever it is, of all the things I talk about, the thing I get the most pushback on and the most uh, fury-filled pushback is when I talk women in ministry. Yeah, and I mean, like, that's the other thing. is For the people that are unaware, just do a Google search or if you're willing to, you know, dip your toe in the water of Twitter, depending on how it is when you're listening, if it still exists because we're recording this you know, a couple weeks before it comes out, like just search Beth Moore, like Beth Moore Baptist, oh Beth Moore SBC. And, you know, just, just get into some of that and you will see why this is such, or at least you'll see kind of the, the, the fruit of how, how this, how this issue becomes such a big issue for people. And as we'll talk later, like the, this issue is supposed to be according to, especially the SBC, supposed to be a secondary issue, meaning not some, not salvation, not anything. It is a secondary issue that we should not be arguing about. And yet the reason why it's so important that we talk about this is it's been elevated in some circles to being something, at least given the emphasis of that primary issue, as if, if we get this wrong, 
your salvation is at risk and it's as bad as murder and all that other kind of stuff. Or you're a false teacher or you don't love Jesus the same way other people do. And all these things that get thrown around that are simply, not only are they unfair, but they're untrue. And so like Eric said, before we even dive into this, this is a secondary issue. This is not a salvation issue. We can follow Jesus together and disagree. We can believe in God. We can read the same Bible and, and we can disagree on the principle. There is a, an overarching idea that you cannot treat people differently based on their gender. Get that out of the way from the front end. We are all created equal in the eyes of God, in the image of God, how Mm. that applies to ministry can differ depending on where you come from. And Eric, before we dive into the, the details, you came prepared for this episode oh, with yeah. some resources. You showed me before we got started. You got like seven oh, books behind you. So this is one of the reasons, you know, I'm excited that we're on YouTube now is because I just got some Easter eggs of some of my favorite books. In episodes past, you know, they've been funny uh, Easter eggs from probably some of my uh, more conservative evangelical background. Uh, uh, you know, good friend of the show, Mark Driscoll, had a couple of his books here. But if you're watching on YouTube, you see this. If you're not, here are some of uh, some of my resources. The uh, two uh, two views of women, two views on women in ministry uh, by Beck Bloomberg uh, Gundry. You know, blah blah blah. Uh, what Paul really says about women um, by uh, Temple Bristow, uh, and then everybody's favorite uh, N.T. Wright, Paul for Everyone, Volumes One and Two, and then finally Ten Lies the Church Tells Women. Uh, by Grady. So I'm, I'm ready to go. Oh, and I've got a couple other printouts that like, uh, from other <laughs> books that my mom had and left like a definition of Gnosticism for some reason here. So that's cool. And then, uh, the good news for women, a biblical picture of gender equality. Uh, and none of these are like relatively new resources. So this has been a debate that's been going on for a while. Yeah. You, you seem awfully well-versed. <laughs> here's the deal. It's important because we're talking about people. I think if listeners here, and this, this might be cut into like Eric's aside, Eric's soapbox section, intro music, Eric's soapbox section. Like we're talking about people, other topics that we get into affect people. And, you know, like next week we'll be talking about alcohol and how we use that. And, you know, we've, we've talked about other things, but this is actually dealing with real people. We are talking about women, 50% of the population. And so anytime there's a conversation around women, around your race, around your gender, around your, uh, you know, your, your affiliate, your affinity, whatever you want to say, like we're talking about people. And I think that that's why it's so important because Jesus's ministry was based around how we interact and treat with people. He died for people. So that's why it's so important to me uh, to be well, well versed about these things. Eric's Absolutely. rant is so, over. <laughs> so w- with Eric's rant over, let me, let me give you some of the details, just some of the housekeeping. Here's the overall idea of what we're talking about today. Depending on the denomination you were raised in, the role of women in ministry could have varied greatly. Ultimately, it comes down at its core to a debate between what's called complementarianism versus egalitarianism. And we'll get into some of the history of each of these in a little bit. But complementarianism says that men and women are created equal, but they have different roles and responsibilities in marriage, family, and religion. 
If you grew up Southern Baptist, PCA, some forms of Lutheran, EFCA, Sovereign Grace, Calvary Chapel, Catholic, or Eastern Orthodox, you grew up in a complementarian tradition. And before we go further with that, there's a wide range of views within complementarianism. So I don't want to paint with a super broad brush because your experience could be wildly different depending on what version of complementarianism you grew up with. Are you a hierarchical complementarianist? Are you a non-hierarchical complementarianist? Are you pre-trib, post-trib, uh, all that? I don't yeah. think there's a free so there, trip or a post trip for complementarianism, but you know, just so you know. <laughs> there, I mean, with as with anything in terms of doctrine, there's all sorts of flavors to make people feel good about themselves and make them feel like they're right. But <laughs> switching gears to the other side, egalitarianism <laughs> believes the Bible mandates equality between the genders and that each gender should mutually submit to each other. If you grew up in the Quaker Church, United Methodist, PCUSA, Wesleyan, Nazarene, many Pentecostal denominations like your Assemblies of God, your Foursquare, uh, some of the Church of God, Cleveland churches believe this, then you grew up in a more egalitarian tradition. So depending on how you grew up, you may not have even realized how hotly debated this is or that there were people who disagreed and believed something different than you. It's also very cultural too. It depends like, you know, we we often, I mean, we obviously come from a Western Christianity, you know, first world, U.S. based, because that's our experience, white, that's our experience. But culturally, depending on your country, depending on, you know, the political ramifications around you, that might also have some impact as to your egalitarian or complementarian belief. I do want to point this out, too, because I think, uh, again, Jonathan, you and I being marketers by trade, um, th this is Thank another you. exercise in, in church marketing and how we talk about these things, because like, it, it's similar to like the pro-life pro-choice where the words that you're using to describe the two different camps tend to make both of them feel better than what plays out at times. Cause if you're just to read and you're like complementarianism, yeah, women, men and women are created equally and they just have different roles and responsibilities, but they're equal. And it's like, but in practice, and we'll talk about it later in practice, that may not always look like that. And egalitarianism, like, oh, you know, they're, they're equal and they should mutually submit. And it's like, but in practice, that doesn't always look right. Just like, it's like, you could be a uh, pro, you're, you're pro choice or you're a baby killer. You know what I mean? It's like the Yep. The differences in the way that we label things tends to be very uh, complementary to the one that does the labeling. Yeah. And for the complementarians, a broad view of that would say, like we mentioned, men and women are created equal, but only men can hold the office of pastor or elder. Some hmm. complementarian churches allow women to have the role of deacon. Some don't. Hmm. Some complementarians don't allow women to speak or teach while others will allow speak or teach to adults. They'll let them speak or teach to kids and students, but not to adults. And most complementarians won't ordain a woman. Yeah, correct. Yep. So if you didn't grow up in these traditions or you weren't taught why they believe, even if you did grow up in the traditions, most of you probably weren't taught why these beliefs came to be and what it comes down to and the scriptural basis for them. So for complementarianism, it's based in a few verses. I'm going to give you a, a quick rundown. 
First Corinthians four thirty three through 35, as in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission as the law also says. If there's anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. First Corinthians 11, I'm picking some verses here. You can read the full chapter if you like. Uh, but I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man and the man is the head of the woman and God is the head of, the, of Christ. Man was not made for woman, but woman for man. Neither was man created for the sake of woman, but woman for the sake of man. For this reason, a woman ought to have authority over her head. We'll get to over her head in just a minute because that comes into this as we get into the future of this. First Timothy 2, 11 and 12 says, let a woman learn in silence with full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man. She is to keep silent. And first Timothy three, two says an overseer will be above reproach. The husband of one wife, some versions say an elder must be above reproach. The husband of one wife. So without any context, without any description, those are the verses that will often be pulled from for egalitarianism. You've got Galatians three 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek slave, nor free male, nor female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Ephesians five 21 submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Genesis 21, 12, where Abraham's told to listen to whatever Sarah tells you. And there are also verses and examples of women performing ministry roles and offices that we'll get to in a little bit. So there is scripture on both sides of this coin to make the argument for whichever direction you go. So when it comes back to the idea of Bible believing Christians can read the same text and come to a different conclusion, that's why I say that. We, we can make an argument for either direction. And like we've said before on the show, we're not here to tell you what specifically you're supposed to believe. We're just trying to take what we were taught, find the good, unlearn the bad, and figure out where the heck we go from here. So Eric, what did we get right about women in ministry from what we were taught as kids? Um, yeah, I mean, again, it's it's all comes down to the intention. And so complementarianism... Uh, you know, I, I think you've got some other thoughts on this, but if I were to say what was right about complementarianism, it's like, do I believe that men and women are different? Yes. Do I believe that men and women have, uh, uh, or people in general have complementary skills and abilities and gifts to bring to the church? Yes. Um, do I believe that there should be some sort of structure around how we are to govern the church? Yes. So, I mean, I think that's, that's part of what I would consider the good. I know you've got some other thoughts there too, but like, yes, there does need to be structure and acknowledgement that there are differences. There are social structures, hierarchical structures, leadership structures, and should there be qualifications for each of those structures? Yes. I, I, to be fair. And I mean, I think we can go into it later. Like I am, I do not lean to the complementarian side. So this is me acknowledging the side that I do not necessarily mm -hmm. uh, uh, agree with. That's, but to be fair, we, you know, I, I believe in that, like in, in the home structure. That's in, one of my favorite things my, about this show. We have to take what we believe and find the good in the opposite side. And that's hard yeah, to if you, do. If you can't argue for the side that you disagree with, you haven't truly tried to understand that side. And I mean, if, if I'm being completely honest, I don't know where I fall on the scale of complementarian versus egalitarian. We'll get into some of my views here in a minute, but when it comes down to finding the good intention, I think it depends on 
what side of the conversation you're coming from. Like Eric, you come from the egalitarian side, you're pretty firm in that stance. And so I'd say the good intention underlying that approach is that in Genesis, both genders are made equal. We are all made equal in the image of God. And you could point to the way that Jesus treated women in ministry and how he went against the patriarchal society of his time. So that that's a good intention underlying the approach that says, hey, anyone can hold these positions. And if we if we switch the other side of the coin, if you're a complementarian, you'd say that what you got right is that you wanted to submit to what scripture says, not what culture says. Yep. While it's simply easier to throw out what is written as, hey, this is just a cultural element of the time. It's not really relevant in today's world. Complementarians would say, no, that's in the Bible. And we have to be truthful to the text, even when it's not easy. So I get that argument. It's an argument I can respect when it is used with respect to the people you're talking about. If it's used to hold power over women, or if it's used to, to place yourself above someone else, I can't respect that. But if you're saying like, no, men and women are equal, but we have separate roles to play because of this scripture. Even if I disagree with you in some of those places, I can respect you for holding to a, an intellectually consistent view. Yeah. And I, and I think that's the other thing too, of like, um, and, and we'll get into this in next week's topic, but if you take the, the idea of like alcohol, you know, there's people that are like, okay, I can read in the scripture that you are not supposed to become drunk with wine and drinking and everything like that. Like, ah, for me personally, I'm going to choose not to drink. I know that's, you know, we obviously I don't want to steal your story, but like, that's, that's okay. Where, where it becomes not okay is where you start using that to say, oh, if you do those things that you've chosen personally, and now you're going to like persecute others for it, or it's like the slavery argument where it's like, uh, if you use the Bible to justify slavery and ignore the other things surrounding that justification, just because you see one or two, uh, pieces of scripture that talk about it, like that's, yeah, I, I'm okay if someone has a complementarian belief as long as it doesn't lead to persecution or as long as it doesn't lead to misogyny, as long as it doesn't lead to or, those sorts of things. As I've read pressure. on Twitter, when when someone would say, if you've got a woman pastor leading a church, you don't have a church. Like, I can't get behind that. If if you have that belief that a woman shouldn't be a pastor, I'm mm-hmm. I'm okay with with you holding that view. But when yeah. you start degrading people because they have a difference in view, you, I can't get behind that. So yeah, don't, don't persecute others for a secondary issue. Again, this correct. is secondary. I think, you know, you and I talked before we started recording that for you, it's even like tertiary, like, you know, it's like if it, this is not supposed to be a primary issue. And so we don't fight close fisted about secondary issues. And that's yep. where it goes, you know, goes wrong too. So in the same way, cause I've seen this on, uh, on TikTok, there's a, there's a creator that, uh, um, I can't think of her, her name right now, but anyway, but she was talking about, you know, like traditional, traditional marriage role wives. And she's like, it's okay. If you want to be stay at home, mom, submissive wife, you know, it's, it's fine. Just admit that that's a personal preference and don't Correct. demonize others who want to, you know, get out of the house and have a job or, you know, have that more egalitarian view. It's like, it, it's okay. And so even if you have this egalitarian view it's all right for you to go, Hey, you want to be a stay at home mom. And you are, you know, quote unquote, fully submissive to your husband and whatever else, like that's great. You know, that 
we don't need to talk about your bedroom kinks. You know, you're fine to have those things like great, you know, awesome. Like I'm not going to tell you what you need to do as long as it's in a consensual and, you know, and not a power dynamic thing you have given, you've given that submission to your spouse. You haven't uh, felt compelled to do so. Correct. Yeah. I'm, I'm a hundred percent in agreement there. It's, it's about, and this is where my egalitarian side comes out. It's about mutual submission there. And, right. and agreeing, like if, if my wife said, you know what, I want to be a homemaker. I want to stay at home. I want to raise the kids so that they don't have to go to after school care or anything like that. Okay. Like, Great. That's her choice. But sure. my wife's a nurse. She's a team lead. She works a ton of hours and I'm the one who takes the kids, gets kids ready for school in the morning, takes them to school, picks them up from school, does dinner a lot of nights during yep. the week. That's just the way we were wired. And so yep. that's a choice our family made. So for someone to tell me my wife should not be working outside the home, I, I can't get behind that because God has wired my wife to take care of patients. Right. She takes yeah, care of I'm, cancer patients in the worst in the worst time of their life, has won a global freaking award for it. And like <laughs> you're gonna tell me that, like, oh, that's outside of God's design. She shouldn't be doing oh, that. God doesn't Lord honor Christ. that. No, she no, she needs to be at home and she shouldn't be telling you what to do. She gets to pray for patients when they have cancer and are going through treatments and are scared of dying. Yeah. If you're not watching on YouTube, you can't see the face I just made. Anyways, moving forward to keep us going because this is going to go an hour and I don't want to go past an hour and we, we keep going way too long. What was bad about what we were taught about egalitarian and complementarianism and, and women in ministry? Uh, Eric, I'll push on egalitarianism, but just because I can, you, okay. I'm going to let you push on complementarianism a little bit. Great. The argument against egalitarianism, uh, Albert Moeller, who I don't really love, he's the president of the Southern Baptist Seminary. He has a quote that says, the arguments used in support of the ordination of women require the dismissal or reinterpretation of specific biblical texts, which disallow women in the teaching office. And so I think his point there is that the biggest thing you can say against egalitarianism is that it's not consistent with scripture or you have to reinterpret scripture. You have to look at it and say that verse that says an elder should be the husband of one wife. Is that prescriptive or descriptive? Instead of just taking it for what it says, you have to interpret it within cultural context. And your conservative theologian complementarians would argue that in order to justify egalitarianism, you have to look at the text within different lights, like the Mueller quote. And when you do that, that can lead to a more progressive theology, which becomes more focused on the person and less focused on Jesus. And mm. that would use the slippery slope argument that if you start reinterpreting this text, do you reinterpret that text? And where does that lead from there? I think in some cases that can be a fair argument because there are places that we try to reinterpret culture and context and apply scripture to make us feel better about things in today's culture that might be against God's design. And so we have, I, I can't fully shoot down that argument about against egalitarianism. I think there are places where that is a fair line of thinking. I don't know that I fully agree with it, but I can at least understand the argument against it and the argument against asking that cultural context question. Yep. Yeah. I, I see that. I think, I think on both sides um, there's a bit of like, you have to 
you have to do some negotiating with the text in order to justify it. So uh, I think for, like you said, for egalitarianism, if the big boogeyman is, it's going to lead to progressive theology, slippery slope. And then all of a sudden you're going to like doubt whether or not Jesus was resurrected from the dead. Like, okay, okay, cool. Like there are, there are theoretical scriptural um, and, and theological implications there for complementarianism. The bad side is actual practical problems in our world. So uh, if you think to any sort of stories of church abuse, especially when it comes to um, it, sexual assault or cover-ups or anything else like that, traditionally you can point to, and I know correlation and causation are different, but you can point to that structure being strongly hierarchically complementarian where the men are in charge, men are in power, men's you voices are seen. Yeah, you must submit. You must be quiet. Men are, are believed more. And especially when those issues are raised, now it's like, what are we doing? We are believing the male in leadership and we are forgiving the male in leadership and we are jumping to the side in the aid of the male in leadership and doing a very much like, uh, uh, you know, harlot, What what's the... Or what demonizing the woman. Like, yes. You you go what, after what is, the woman because she wasn't doing what she was supposed to. Yeah. I mean, it's a Bathsheba issue, but um, um, Jezebel, that's right. We do the, the whole Jezebel thing, but like, you know, the, even the Bathsheba argument, it's like, yeah, uh, I mean, David, man, he, the king, what was he supposed to do? What, why was she on the roof? It's like, what? what? Why was he looking, bro? What was he doing? What? He went down. Anyway, we can go into the David Bathsheba thing later, but Specifically, you know, we reference this is that in a 2018 study called Religious Beliefs and Domestic Violence Myths, complementarianism was used as an indicator for hierarchies and relationships that led to domestic violence. Does that mean the slippery slope of complementarianism leads directly to direct, uh, domestic violence? No. But in church structure, in home structure, in, I mean, think about any sort of like reality TV that you've seen from highly conservative uh, religious people. Get five years later, guess what comes out? One of the, you know, one of the kids is a pervert. Well, the dad is sleeping around on whatever or has abused one of the daughters or something like that. And it's because this is a petri dish where this sort of abuse is allowed to fester. So that's like a just practical side for society where that can go wrong. Hey, it's not necessarily let me jump in real quick. the direct. Go ahead. Yeah. You said this, but I want to explicitly say it. Not all complementarianism leads right. to this. This correct when we said that there is a wide gulf in complementarian beliefs and complementarian practices. This is what I meant. This is the far side of complementarianism that can lead to this, but it's something we have to discuss when we're talking about women in ministry and complementarian beliefs because it is a thing and we cannot ignore it. It's used to justify the bad deeds that are happening. Correct. You know, or it's used to protect, or it's the environment where those things were created, whether that was explicitly the purpose, which I don't believe it is in many cases, you know, in most cases, but it, it, that's what allowed it to continue. So if we were just to say, okay, that was, you know, that's, that's just the, the actual practical application. This is from Good News for Women summarizing uh, the difficulties with the traditional interpretation of first Timothy two eleven through 15, but it's kind of an overall on some of the, what we get wrong with complementarianism. 
Uh, and in this, Rebecca Gruthis, Gruthius, I think is her name. She says, interpreting the prohibition uh, of women, you know, leading over men as a statement of universal principle of women's subordination to the spiritual authority of men contradicts the biblical principle of the spiritual equality of all believers, as well as the biblical examples of women who served in ministries that include teaching and having authority. The traditionalist interpretation necessitates a fair amount of, and I love this term, hermeneutical gerrymandering between those teaching huh. <laughs> and leadership ministries deemed permissible and those deemed non-permissible for women. Traditionalists disagree on where to draw the line because there is no limitation on the, prohi uh, the, prohibition, the prohibition of First Timothy 2.12. So I think that what I would say is similar to the egalitarian side is there is some hermeneutical gerrymandering with scripture and I call it negotiating where you say, what is allowed or, you know, what am I going to follow? What am I not going to follow? You can use verses on both sides. So I think uh, problem with complementarianism is there's there, there is some stretching going on with the scriptures to justify your actions as well. Same with egalitarianism. Yep. We all make negotiations on what pieces we're going to choose to believe and what pieces we're going to throw out, what pieces were literal, what pieces were figure figurative. And this is no different than any of that. One of the things that I wanted to point out about what I think is bad about complementarianism, this is sort of a soapbox for me that I have, I have this conversation. Jonathan soapbox is getting on a soapbox. <laughs> going to <man> a rant. <laughs> <laughs> complementarians and and remember there there's a wide range of beliefs with this viewpoint so not all complementarianism complementarian that's such a freaking hard word to say um but anyways so not not everyone with complementarian views holds this but there are pieces of this that you'll find depending on the tradition you grew up in but it's very easy to dismiss biblical examples of women performing ministry roles and claim that they can't hold them. So if we're going to get back to the idea of what's a woman's role in ministry, one of the things we have to say is there's a difference in ministry roles and ministry offices that'll come to play in just a minute as we talk about this, but a ministry role is what we all do when serving the mission of the church. That's anyone. It's not a paid staff or, or anything. It's just what we do as roles as Christians. A ministry office is defined as the role of governance in the local church. So for ministry roles, we read that Paul gave five roles that play out in Ephesians 4.11 within the local church. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. You'll often hear this called the apest or the five-fold ministry role. And when we look at the New Testament, we see women holding each of these roles. When it comes to apostles, we see in Romans 16. 7, Paul writes, Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and fellow prisoners, they are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. That name Junia is a female. There have been translations that tried to turn Junia into Junius, but mm. the name Junius doesn't appear anywhere in other historical contexts of that time frame. So there have been people throughout history because of a patriarchal society who tried to diminish Junia as a female apostle and dismiss her. 
Um, I feel, so I feel like that so would be like this. Con- this may not this may not match, but like in you know three, four hundred, five hundred years, if someone were to write a story about this and like change Jonathan to Janathan, and it's like, oh no, it was really Janathan, <laughs> and it's like nobody is named Janathan in you know in, in the two thousands at all. No, it wasn't Jonathan yeah. and Eric. It was Janathan and Eric. And it's like no, that name isn't real. You Erica. just made that. Up. It was Erica. Well, er- I mean, but there is an Erica, but you know what I mean? That's the problem. <laughs> that's, okay, there, that's is no, there is no such thing as a Janathan. Yeah. So Junia was an apostle. So we have an example of a female apostle. Now, prophets. In Luke 2.36, Anna spoke as a prophet. In Acts 21.9, Philip's daughters prophesied over Paul. In 1 Corinthians 11.4 and 5, Paul gave instruction to women on proper on prophetic etiquette within the church assembly. And Jesus trusted women to carry the first gospel message despite having 11 dudes capable of doing it himself. Like it was fact, the women who Wright, first. So N.T. Wright says this, as he said, uh, if women were the first to announce the resurrection of Jesus, then that means that there were female apostles before they were male apostles, because these two would have been apostles to the apostles. And so he makes the claim that not only were they prophetic in talking through some of those things about Jesus, but also that they would have been then the first carriers of the gospel and the first among the apostles based on Christian apostles, not, not pre-resurrection. Correct. And that's why N.T. Wright's N.T. Wright. Um, moving forward to pastors, before we get into this one, we have to acknowledge that in the American church, the word pastor is often given to the office of elder, but the biblical gift of pastoring does not necessarily mean someone is an elder. The Greek word for pastor simply means shepherd, which is someone who provides spiritual nature to others and guards them from threats to their faith. So when it comes to that context of shepherding, pastoring, we have an example of Priscilla doing that in Acts 18 as her and her husband led Apollos to a more complete understanding of the gospel. And finally, when it comes to ministry roles, we have the teacher. And in Acts 18, we see Priscilla teaching. And in the context of the verse, it says Priscilla and Aquila. Her name appears before her husband's. And so there is an argument that says that could infer that she was the more prominent of the te- two teachers, since culturally, when you were introducing a husband-wife combo, the man's name usually preceded their wives. But when we look at scriptural context and we see two biblical teachers or two gospel teachers, the the more prominent teacher is normally listed first. Like in Acts, when Barnabas and Paul are out teaching, and then later in Acts, it changes to Paul and Barnabas as Paul's role increased and surpassed that of Barnabas. So given that context with the rest of the book of Acts, Priscilla was likely the, the more dominant teacher over her husband. Moving forward to offices, there are two ministry offices, deacon and elder. Deacons are first mentioned in Acts chapter 6, but in Romans 16, we see Paul write about Phoebe serving in the role of deacon. Paul trusted Phoebe with his letter to the Roman church. Yep. In 1 Timothy 4, the word used to describe Timothy as a minister or a deacon, that is the same word used to describe Phoebe. And in 1 Timothy, Timothy 3, the qualifications that Paul writes for a deacon inside the church include women. 
So there's yep. biblical examples straight away of deacons being women. And again, going back to uh, N.T. Wright, you know, he talks about specifically for Phoebe, um, like the person who delivers the letter uh, was nine times out of 10, the one who read it out and did the teaching and spoke for. Because um, they didn't have the printing press and couldn't have their own versions at the time. Right. So, so, you know, they're actually, imagine this. That's Paul a cultural writing, piece of context that we don't get. It's like, no, these letters were taken and then read. They didn't have yeah. individual copies in their hand. Right. So, so imagine the situation where Paul is writing this letter and he's like, I'm writing, you know, I need to write this to the Roman church right under the nose of Caesar, which is kind of how N.T. Wright puts it. Um, who am I going to send to take this thing? Most people would like conventional wisdom would be, especially if this was like a patriarchal type of, you know, misogynistic situation. Like who's the biggest, strongest man that I know? Cause I'm trusting this, you know, meaty piece of text that I need to get to people. Nope. Sends it with Phoebe. And then imagine Phoebe shows up and starts reading this aloud to the people assembled wherever they were in whatever groups. Um, do you think then a man stands up and is like, well, let me tell you what Phoebe is trying to say, Paul said. No, <laughs> they're asking Phoebe the questions and going back and forth. And Phoebe has the message from Paul. She is the carrier of the text in the scripture. She is teaching. And none of the men are sitting there going, la, 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 I can't listen because you're a woman. Like, they're not doing that. Uh, so that's, that's where it's like very, you can read into what is happening here and think that, okay, Paul is probably saying like N.T. Wright says, Paul is saying, Hey guys, get used to it. Here's a woman, get used to it. <laughs> but we, we're, we're not the ruling class here. We we've got to do what we can with the skills that we have available, regardless of what's kind of between their legs. <laughs> I'm surprised it took you 35 minutes to get to that because mm. when, in the three minutes we talked before this episode, you dropped that pretty quickly. Um, all right. To move us forward, because we're trying to get in out of here without taking this into like a two hour episode. The other office is elders and elders are the only ministry office or role that we don't have an explicit biblical example of a woman holding. And there's the verse we mentioned earlier that an elder or an overseer is to be the husband of one wife. That's the place that most people will point to for this distinction. What I want to be absolutely clear and transparent about is that there are some who egalitarians, there are some women in the Bible who egalitarians would claim perform the role of elder, but none of them were explicitly named as elders in that. So, so this real quick, is the spot uh, one thing to, to point where, to is that like in first Timothy five, nine, where Paul is talking about um, how to uh, enrolling widows and going through that qualification of who should be enrolled. Um, some egalitarians, I believe this is a little bit of a stretch, but I just want to be fair. Uh, some egalitarians believe that that is Paul listing out a woman's qualification for elder because it parallels a lot of other places. I don't know that that's, the, the strongest, but just in case people are like, well, you know, you said there are some examples. That's an example of something that an egalitarian would use. Maybe not the strongest one, but it's there. And again, people would point to Phoebe being an elder in the church or an overseer of the church, given the authority that Paul gave her. So the tension comes, and this is kind of transitioning into where we go from here. The tension in a lot of this comes in that 
there is a verse that says an elder or an overseer will be the husband of one wife. Was that descriptive of the position or prescriptive of the church he was talking to? I don't know. I don't think any one of us can say with ultimate confidence what the answer to that question is. And I, so, so that's the tension, but what I want, what I do want to say is I just laid out a biblical case for every other ministry role and office that women can hold. So whether you agree with complementarian views or egalitarian views, I'm not going to tell you which one you have to, you have to believe the basis the most basics that we have to agree on is that women can hold every ministry role and women can be deacons. I don't see any way we can disagree on those two things. When it comes to elders or lead pastors, I think there can be some disagreement there, but the rest of it, I think we have clear examples that women can hold those roles in ministry. Yeah. And I think that that's, um, there's also a practical application to that we're talking about is like, there's a difference between um, if you decided that the, the, the church you're going to now, if they voted in and decided that their next lead pastor was going to be a woman and you said, you know what? Uh, preferentially, I just don't know that that's right for me. And you decided to go somewhere else. Uh, like I know there's a lot of people that would be on the hardcore, um, egalitarian side or the progressive side of Christianity that would go like, no, that, you know, that's, that's bigoted. And that is blah, blah. like, you can have preferences, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that sort of thing. But um, on the other hand, to tell a church, like we talked about earlier, to tell a church that because you, uh, you have a female, you know, a woman who's a pastor or who's leading or who's teaching over men uh, or to, to like right now, the haters that are going to respond to this, or if you're watching this little clip on TikTok. Um, like if you're going to get in the comments and go, oh, you know, you're, you're apostate and you're her heretical and you're teaching a false gospel and stuff like that. Then I would say you are misinterpreting the whole reason and purpose for this discussion. And you're elevating a secondary issue and making it an issue that you shouldn't in effect, making it an idol for you. All right. So moving forward, where do we go from here? We just hit on a little bit, how, but how do we take the good and use it to move us forward? I think one of the questions at, at the base of this, because, I mean, we just mentioned that moving forward, we have to agree that women can hold every role, every ministry role, and at least one of the ministry offices. But when it comes to complementarian or egalitarian, what should you be? I don't know. I don't. Like You should like be said, respectful. I, of of every Christian, regardless of their gender identification, whatever that that's it. That's where we that's need a to start. That's a baseline. Yes, is like you, you need, need to, to respect everyone, regardless of. Yeah, and believe that they, you know, that they both have equal value, no matter what, no matter what. Do not just like use we mentioned. Other... Just like we mentioned in the love the sin or hate the sin episode, we are to love others the way Jesus loved them. So at the at the at the start, that's where it has to start. But when it comes down to egalitarian versus complementarian, what it, the big issue comes down to a concept called headship. And headship is not the assertion that a man is superior over a woman, 
but it is the biblically described role of the male servant leadership of the family. Headship means honoring your wife, 1 Peter 3, 7, loving and caring for your wife as much as you love and care for yourself, Ephesians 5, and caring for your wife as much as Jesus cares for her. And so why that is such a big deal is because complementarians believe that marriage is the model that the church is also to be governed by. And if the male is the leader of the family to which he serves under the concept of headship, then the church should also be led that way as well. So if you believe in headship, you're likely going to believe a complementarian view of ministry when it comes to elders and lead senior pastors. The argument against that is that egalitarians say that headship didn't appear until Ephesians 5 and that we should mutually submit to each other because we see that closer to the beginning of Scripture than we do in the New Testament. Ultimately, Eric, you put this in the notes a second ago. I don't, I don't know where it went. It just kind of disappeared. But it was Paul that wrote the theology on headship more so than Jesus mentioned it or the way that things were earlier in the Bible. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so uh, most of our complementarian theology comes from Paul, specifically written to the church in Ephesus. Yes, there are other places where he's written things and stuff like that, but that's where like when the prescriptive, descriptive side comes in, that's where I'm like, okay, I see much more of this being written as a specific cultural situation that happened in a church in the same way as like, uh, don't, don't allow a woman to take authority over a man um, can be read as like, no, when there's a man in authority, that that's their role. When there's a person in authority and that's a role, uh, this person should not be usurping that position. But when a woman is in authority in another role, like that's that's fine. So there are some different situational nuances, especially there in that, Ephesus, again, because are, of the are, the female led yeah. cults that were there in Ephesus. So that there's there is a right a and, cultural context to this that is incredibly important. Yeah. I mean, think about like if if there was a Paul today that was writing a letter to the church in the United States, he would probably write a lot more about, well, I don't know, maybe, maybe not. But like you could see a lot more application being written to not using your uh, your faith as a way to, to get power and not um, abusing the amount of money that you have and all that sort of stuff which is not going to be as applicable if you were to write it to the church in a third world country where like, they're like, listen, bro, we're not, we're not struggling with greed or with, with money because we don't have it. So Paul may not write the same things to that church. Does that mean it doesn't apply? Uh, you know, it applies differently. It's not something that you need to make a primary issue um, because of it. So I, I think that's the other thing is it, it, it's not validated by Jesus, which is one thing that um, people with other, uh, po uh, other politically based theological backings say, oh, well, such and such is not validated by Jesus. Therefore, you know, it's, it's not right. But in this case, that same group doesn't do the same for the gender roles, you know, because in addition to Jesus trusting women with the first gospel messages, we already said, when Mary complains about Martha not helping the women and instead being in the position of a disciple at Jesus's feet, Jesus validates her and says, no, no, she's where she needs to be. She is, she is learning as a disciple would at my feet. Like, Hey guys, this whole, what I'm seeing is Jesus going this gender role thing. We got to start getting rid of it because 
the view that we have for the new heaven and the new earth is essentially going to be genderless, not in, you know, we don't need to bring trans ideology into it or anybody getting all upset about that sort of thing. But gender will not matter in heaven, in the new heaven and new earth. And so I think Jesus keeps pointing to that. And I'm like, for my personal belief, we, we should be trying what we can to get to that point instead of holding on to an antiquated structure uh, that's going to justify power dynamics that that may not be healthy. So that's where I'm trying to go is like, do we need structure and do we need steps to get there? Yes. But what I see and what Jesus has said is the future is going to be where there is no male, no female, no slave, no Greek, no Gentile, no free, no, you know, everybody is the same. Let's move towards that direction. Yeah. And that's, that's a solid argument. And I don't know that I disagree. My tension comes in the elder, the lead pastor, because I don't know. I, I am a hundred percent okay. And will champion the idea of women in every single role up until that. And then when it gets to that level, I will say, I don't know. I, I, if, if your church believes this and believes that a woman can serve as an elder or a lead pastor or in that role, I, okay. I don't have to agree with you on everything. I don't agree with my church on everything. Eric, I don't agree with you on everything. Like we're, we're not going to agree <laughs> on every single thing. And so I'm not, I don't think it's sinful to have a woman in that role. Uh, I just don't know where I land on it. And I don't know that I ever will know because I don't, I won't ever know if that verse that says a, an elder should be the husband of one wife, until I get to heaven and can say, Jesus, was this prescriptive or descriptive? And he answers me, I will never know for sure what the answer to that question will be. And so that's going to keep me from having a, a hard set opinion on the role of women in that spot. But I'm okay if you have an opinion. As long as you are allowing women to right. hold every other role and are allowing women to, have, to be a deacon... And as long as you are loving women the way Jesus loves them, and you're not using this idea of headship and submission for gain or to position yourself above a woman, I'm okay if you're complementarian. Like, mm -hmm. I, I, I can get down with that. Uh, I might even believe that. I don't know. I had a conversation with my wife the other day. We were talking about church stuff, and the, the exact comment I said was, if I'm supposed to be the spiritual head of our home, then this is what I would say. Because that's the idea of headship, that the man is the spiritual leader within the home. I yep. can't say that I'm exactly supposed, I feel yucky a little bit saying that I'm supposed to be the spiritual leader of my wife. Uh, there's there's some honor in that, but there's also some yuckiness for me where I think that my wife also leads me in her discernment and her, her, the way she is in touch with God in different ways than I am. So I kind of lean towards that mutual submission there, which is a very egalitarian view. So I go back and forth on this entire thing. At the end of the day, if you will allow a woman to hold the five ministry roles and the office of deacon, and if you can love women and honor women and respect women and treat them well, 
this final piece I'm okay with us disagreeing on. We can go out and have a cheeseburger together and debate whether or not they can be like, maybe we attend, we've, we follow Jesus together, but we attend different churches. That's fine. We don't have to agree on everything, but what I want you to get out of this is women have a role in ministry. Women have an incredibly important role in ministry and we need them to be in ministry. We need them leading us in the ways they are wired to lead us. The first, I mean, my church in Knoxville, I sat under the teaching of a black woman one week. And it was the first time I had ever done that. And my goodness, she preached a passage of scripture that I had heard a thousand times, but because of her unique perspective as a black woman in the United States, it had a totally different context and sat with me differently than any other time I had ever heard that. And I am so thankful for hearing that perspective. I needed it and we need more of that perspective. So if you, uh, let me, let me jump in there too, because uh, same for me. And I, and I want to name people. Okay. So, uh, during one of the darkest times in my life, uh, I, I still have written this down. These are, these are teachings from Barb Roos. She's a pastor, speaker, author, um, you know, runs all sorts of great things and helps, helps women in ministry, publish books and stuff like that. Uh, to, to hold for me to hold a hard line. I mean, this is right next to my desk. Cause I look at these things daily for help and for guidance for me. And those were the things that she framed for me. And it's like, I cannot, I cannot fathom a world where, uh, where I would have believed that, that her voice given to her by God was not meant to have or was some level of authority. To... Right. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Let's go that way. Or it was sinful. Like, the, the things that I've written down and the things that I basically, I'm repeating, you know, uh, Christina Davis, if you're listening, you that for me. So I want to, I want to drop your name as well. So you can keep going, but, but I want to drop Christina's name, Christina Davis at city Hills church in Knoxville. She like incredible woman. And yeah. I think it's important because it, I, I got to say this too. It's like, I saw this on TikTok where somebody posted and said, Hey, um, at, next time you talk to a man, ask them who are three, three women, influential women that you aspire, that you, that you admire and aspire to be like. They can't name one. And I was like, that is shocking. I mean, like, I, I can name it. five I women struggled. on TikTok I aspire to be like, you know, but you're like, it's very real. If I were to sit down with people and say, hey, can you name n- n- other men and say, can you name like three women that, that you admire um, and uh, that you're not related to and like three women that you aspire to be like? I guarantee for the men listening here, I, Women are already shaking their head like, hell yeah. I mean, you, you, I, I know this is true, but the men listening here, I want you to think for yourself and think about it. If you can name some women, because right off the bat, you know, I could like name her. I mean, Tina Fey, I would love to be a, a lot like Tina Fey. You know, I like uh, uh, Michelle Obama. I think she's pretty awesome. You know, Beth Moore. I could go on and on and give the types of people. But like, imagine asking your bros, hey, bro, can you name like one or two women you're not related to that you admire and aspire to be like, there would be a lot of, uh, um, <laughs> there would be a lot of weird. Because looks. when I saw that video while yeah. sitting on the toilet the other day, I sat on the toilet a little longer than I should have <laughs> because I, I, it, I struggled to find three people. Like, I don't know if I just clammed up. Yeah. I've never thought about it before. Right. And so. Now thinking about that when you're on the toilet, <laughs> clamming up has oh. a different, you know, connotation. On that note, 
Um, if you want some resources to dig into some of this stuff yourself, dig in. I should not have said dig in after talking about clamming up on the toilet. But if you want some resources to study when it comes to egalitarianism or complementarianism, the Junia Project is a great resource to learn more about egalitarian yeah. theology. And um, on the complementarian side, Mike Winger did a deep dive on YouTube that I haven't watched myself, but it's like yeah. 10 hours long where he went out, he sought out scripture trying to prove an egalitarian viewpoint. And he came to more of a complementarian view while also mentioning many of the things that we said here today. So I haven't watched that myself, but some people I really, really respect have watched that and said it was great and that it was fair to both sides. So if you want to check that out, ultimately you have to decide what you believe. We can't tell you what the final conclusion would be, but Eric, I'm going to give you the last word on this. Yeah, I would say this. This is like anything when when these topics come up, regardless of what you believe between complementarianism and egalitarianism, I, I believe our role is to speak out when we see injustice. So I would ask my complementarian brothers and sisters, especially the ones that are um, hard, you know, hard line onto that side. Uh, it is our role, just like for me to speak out against, you know, white evangelical middle class Christians, because that's who I am when I see that being abused. Um, I'm asking you, when we've identified cases of abuse, it is okay to say, hey, what is going on there is wrong. And that is not at all how we view the scripture when it comes to complementarianism. So on either side, any of these topics, when we go forward, it is our role when we have a voice from that angle to call out our own side. So please, 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 when you see in cases of injustice and abuse, use your voice to be a voice of reason for your own side and calling it out when it needs to be called. Absolutely. So that's a great place for us to end today. Next week, we're going to be taking on the debate on whether or not Christians could or should drink alcohol. So make sure you subscribe to the show. Hmm wherever you get it, whether it is on your favorite podcast platform or if it's on YouTube. Also rate us and review us wherever you get podcasts. Uh, we found out during the Spotify wrap that we've got like a 4.8 view on Spotify, which is better than put us in like the top 5% of podcasts on Spotify. So thank you all for all of you who have rated us there. Uh, it's been a while since we've had some new reviews on Apple podcasts. So I would ask if you want to go over there and leave us re a review, that would be awesome. Share this episode with a friend. If you found it interesting, if you have feedback or questions, you can get in touch with us at hello at unlearningyouthgroup.com. Eric is at EricW712 on all the major platforms. And I am at Jonathan underscore Carone on them as well. Two quick reminders. You can get your merch at unlearningyouthgroup.com and send in your funny or awkward youth group story there at unlearningyouthgroup.com as well. As always, thanks for hanging out with us. Thanks for making us a part of your day. And we'll talk to you again next week. Cool.